I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never even put anything in a quilt show. But I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy and I'm a quilter, and welcome to episode 51 in which we get scrappy again. First of all, I want to say thank you for listening because, believe you me, it's a whole lot more fun when you listen than when you don't, for me in any case. Um, I also want to say thank you for posting reviews in iTunes on behalf of all podcasters. I give you thanks for that. And also thank you for all your comments, but I'm going to get more about the comments thing later. Um, I've been away at a fantastic conference this last week, and um, we're now at the very at the uh, tail end of a really nice Memorial Day weekend here in the United States. It was nice for us anyway. Our temperatures were up in the 80s. My husband and daughter got in the pool a couple times, um, which is really early for us. We typically aren't able to really get in our pool until later in June, but um, thanks to a pool heater and some a nice stretch of weather, they've been able to get in swimming. I haven't, mostly because I was exhausted from said conference. But again, I'll be talking a little bit more about that later. I'm also going to give you a Sandy update and listener comments, but I'm going to save all of that for after the interview. I've got an awful lot to catch you up on, uh, so I really want to get straight to the content first, and then I'll do the rest later. So those of you who are less interested in all of that other stuff can just uh, reap the benefit of a wonderful interview and then you can get out if you want to. That's the nice thing about podcasting. You know what? I'll never know. <laughs> so so on to the content of our episode. I have talked about episode, about scraps before. I don't remember exactly which podcast. It was sometime before episode 12. Um, episodes 12 and on I have in my current uh, organizational system, but I didn't start that system until episode 12. So the ones before that, I have to dig a little deeper to find out what they were. So I don't know exactly what episodes, but I did two of them on scraps. And um, in those two episodes, I did reference sort of everybody knows about Bonnie Hunter and her Quiltville um, website. I definitely would recommend that one again, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about Bunny Hunter this time because really the bulk of today's uh, content is a wonderful interview I did with my personal uh, scrap quilt queen, the person I have dubbed so, and she has been dubbed so, I think, by most of the people in our guild, uh, Charlotte Hawks. She is just a wonderful woman who has been scrap quilting pretty much from the get-go. I think in the interview she even references that her very first quilt was a scrap quilt. So she knows that of which she speaks, and she has a very impressive system um, but a very simple one that she uses for keeping tracks of her, track of her scraps and then ultimately using them. And we got talking about this at our uh, guild retreat. And um, Jan from our guild had been asking Charlotte about how she organized her scraps and ended up having all of us kind of, Charlotte ended up leave, leading this little mini class one night. So the next day I asked her if she'd be willing to repeat her little mini class for us for an interview and God bless her, she did. So anyway, um, I'm going to now share with you the interview with Charlotte and some information about from a real true honest scrap quilter about how to organize your scraps and how to use some scraps and just some little tips and tricks she's learned along the way. So have a good time listening to that. All right, why don't we start by introducing yourself. Okay, I'm Charlotte Hawks. I live in Brockport, New York, and I've been quilting for probably around 10 years now. 
Okay. And you said that you're, um, well, I should start out by saying that we're on our guild quilt retreat here, and so right. we're in the same guild. But you said earlier today or yesterday that you your first quilt was actually a scrap quilt? Yes. Well, actually, the first one I started with uh, some scrappy 30s squares that were already done, and I assembled them into a quilt, and I, the border was all scraps. So, and then from there, I did my first quilt, which was um, totally all scraps, but I had no stash. So I went and bought quarter yards and eighth yards of coordinating fabrics, and it did the squares. Okay, so you kind of made your own scraps. Right. To, so <laughs> to I start made with. my own scraps to start with and okay. built my stash hmm. besides. So what what attracted you to scrap quilts to start with? Well, I don't know, other than the fact that it was something that I didn't need to buy yards and yards of fabric. And I could work on one block and coordinate the block. Cause the, if I remember correctly, the block that I made had like three or four different colors um, in it. So I would pick a couple of prints and then had a solid color or so that would, you know, coordinate to it. Mm-hmm. And that way I could work on one block at a time and I didn't have to buy a whole lot all at once. Mm-hmm. So now, 10 years later, okay. <laughs> your um, stash has presumably grown Slightly. somewhat. <laughs> Plus, you now are um, the grateful recipient of scraps from several of the rest of us Quite a in few the of guild. the rest of you, yes. Um, how do you organize your scraps now that you've got a stash full of them? Okay. Well, when people give me scraps, a lot of times it's like a whole plastic bag full, like a grocery bag, or even a garbage bag full, I've received at times. So I take them, and um, when I have time, I just grab a handful of them, iron them flat, put them on the back of my cutting table, and then I start to cut out the squares that fit that particular piece of fabric. And I start with the largest square and work my way down until there's nothing left. And we mean nothing, well, <laughs> really. Yeah, the smallest I, I cut is an inch and a half square. Okay. But I also, if there's a strip left that's maybe four inches long by three quarters of an inch, I keep that and throw it over into the strip pile. Okay. And so now you've got a collection. What, what types of, what are your kind of general sizes of scores that you cut? All right, I have a a cork board on my wall behind my cutting table. And on the cork board I have plastic, uh, like one quart plastic bags or um, large sandwich bags, Ziploc bags. And in each of the bags I have, <clears throat> I have a tag that tells me what size goes in that bag. So as I cut, I throw the, the I put the square into the appropriate bag. And I start with an inch and a quarter I have an inch and a quarter, or not inch and a quarter, inch and a half, mm-hmm. inch and three quarters, inch and seven eighths, two inches, two and a quarter, two and three eighths, two and a half, two and three quarters, two and seven eighths, and three, three and a quarter, three and a half, three and three quarters, four, well, I don't know if I have three and seven eighths, I may, don't remember, and then four, four and a quarter, four and a half. Four and three quarters, five, five and a half, and six. And that's where I stop. Okay. There's no more room for plastic bags <laughs> on my board. <laughs> and the, the ones that are an eighth are because the, that's a common size for 
triangles. Then. Right, right. Okay. Yes. And square triangles. Right. And you don't divide by color or anything. No, it's just I don't. strictly by size. It's strictly by what's next on the pile. And, you know, I try and go through the pile. When somebody gives me a lot of scraps, I try and work my way through that before I go to my stash. Mm. Okay. Now, um, if I'm doing a quilt where I want a lot of blue, I sort through the bag, and if there's enough blue squares in there, then I use those. Otherwise, I go to my stash and cut what I need. Okay. But I rarely have to do that. Now, in terms of your stash, do you tend to then just collect fabrics that you know will cut down into good sizes, like not really large prints or things like that? I mean, do you look for fabric in in terms of scrap quilts or do you kind of like the rest of us just buy whatever captures <laughs> your eye and then figure out later well i've done that um i have made a few quilts where i have purchased the the fabric for the quilt like baby quilts mm-hmm. okay and then whatever there's always something left over so that either if there's enough i put it back into my stash otherwise i cut it up and put it in the plastic bags mm. okay but my stash is divided by color. I don't usually buy large prints. Most of it is uh, fat quarters that I found that I like, or if I find a good sale somewhere or something that I really like, I'll buy a couple of yards maybe, or if it's a really good sale, I'll buy enough for a backing. Mm-hmm. And if I do a backing, there's always plenty left over around the edge because I keep everything that's bigger than an inch and a half. <laughs> Now, with your bags of scraps on your bulletin board, right? Um, you were saying to us uh, last night, you were talking to our retreat attendees about this, and it sounds like, I think you said you had something like 22 projects going at <laughs> any one given yeah. time or something like mm-hmm. that. As I, as I cut the squares, okay, now the ones that you really get a lot are 2.5-inch, 3-inch, and 4-inch squares. So that bag fills up really quickly, and those are, uh, there are so many quilts that you can make with that size. So when the bag starts to overflow, if I don't have a project that's already going that I can use those, or if I finished a project that I've used up, then I'm looking for a new quilt to make. Mm -hmm. So I will look through, I have EQ Mm -hmm. on my computer, and when I find a quilt either that comes through a sale catalog or something online somewhere I've seen whatever I go on EQ and I draw a picture of the quilt Mm -hmm. I make a picture of the block and make the quilt on EQ Mm -hmm. and since everything I do is scraps for the most part I just plug different colors in there just to give it an idea of what it's going to look like and I draw my borders and whatever, if I want sashing or I don't want sashing, I mean, you could play with it on EQ. Mm-hmm. Should be doing an EQ commercial. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then when I'm looking for a new project, I run through all of the quilts that I have saved on EQ. And I look and see what there is, and there's always one that I've got in the back of my mind, which I'd kind of like to do next. Right. Okay, but there's probably probably 10 of them <laughs> in the back of my mind that I want right. to do next. <laughs> right. So then I I print off a copy of that quilt, put it in a gallon and a half plastic bag with the with the pieces, okay, that I'm going to use, um, and whatever uh, if I'm going to use a, a solid color or a white on white or something that is going to be consistent throughout the whole thing, I'll take that piece of fabric and put in that bag also with mm-hmm. it, 
and that way I know that everything I have is right there. I write on the picture of the quilt what size squares I need and whether they need to be cut in half, whether mm -hmm. it's three inches and you know three and three quarter or three and three eighths uh, to make the half square triangle or or whatever. I, I write that right down there. I also write down the size of my borders so when I get to that point um, I know what I need to do. I write down how many squares I need like one that I'm making now there's star squares and then there's um, a square that's not a star. Mm -hmm. So I need 32 squares, star squares, and 31 of the other ones. So as I complete those, I hash mark them off so I know exactly how many squares I have left to make. And then when it's finally all put together, or I have enough squares, then I'll assemble the whole thing. And usually with the scraps, the way I get the scraps, it's kind of funny because sometimes I'll get all green ones or I'll get a whole bunch of blue ones or whatever. So if I have to put... 70 squares together by the time I've got them all done I've used up all the blue ones and all the green ones you know the piles that come together mm -hmm. all at once and so that way I can mix and match them all up when I'm laying it all out okay. so it works out pretty well now if I recall it probably wasn't in this past year but within the last couple of years you had a quilt that was a scrap quilt, but it was, I believe, like a blue and a white mm -hmm. quilt. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you do ones that are kind of color-coordinated, other ones you do one that are just pure scrap. Well, this one I found in a magazine, and I saw it, and I really liked it. It was um, a Civil War pattern. Mm -hmm. It was a road to Richmond. It was in McCall's magazine. And it was all done in, in blue and white fabrics. So I looked all over, scoured the countryside for blue and white, <laughs> You know, and then there was a, just a plain white muslin that, you know, coordinated with that and mm -hmm. went with it. So, um, and I think I had needed, I don't remember how many I had, I had quite a few, probably 12 different blue and white fabrics that I needed for that. So every place I went, I would look for blue and white fabrics. But still, it was scrappy, even right. though it was blue and white. Right. Do you have a preference? Which Do you tend to prefer to do pure scrap, or do you prefer to do the color-coordinated ones, or do you kind of bounce back and forth? Most everything I do is scrappy because I find that, I don't know, when I'm looking at the, the quilts that other people have made, I try to put those colors together, and it just doesn't seem to come out quite the way that theirs does. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm sure mine are fine, but I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, hmm, with the scraps you can just put everything together and mm -hmm. it all goes. Mm -hmm. some, of the, some of the fabrics I get are so... Really ugly. I think, what was this person <laughs> thinking? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. But when you put it all together, um, and I mix everything up, I mix, mm -hmm. mix 30s and baby prints and stripes and plaids and paisleys mm -hmm. and you know, you name it, and it's all in there. Yeah. So when you've made a whole quilt of two and a half inch squares, a bed quilt, which I make mostly bed quilts, there's a lot of squares and everything mm -hmm. gets kind of lost in there. So yeah, no one particular one right. stands out. Right. Yeah. Before I forget, and I might take this and put it out of order because this is a little out of order, but I was recently asked a question about pieced borders, which I haven't done that many. But the question was, do you stay stitch the outside of the border before you put the binding on, or does that um, create more ripple? In the, the, there was Somebody else's guild was having this question about pieced borders. And do you just leave them and then slap the binding on there, and does that keep them more smooth, or do you, you know, kind of base stitch around the outside first? And obviously you've done a lot of pieced borders with your scrappy quilt, so do you yeah. tend to do one or the other? I 
No, I don't. I just try very hard not to stretch it. Mm -hmm. And after, um, I mean, every once in a while you end up one that's a little bit wavy, but for the most part they tend to be pretty straight. You haven't found that to be a yeah. problem. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I remembered to ask that question. What to you, what kinds of blocks make a good scrap quilt? I mean, you, you have said you've seen quilts sometimes at shows and stuff, and you've been able to say, oh, that would look great as a scrap quilt. Mm -hmm. What is it that you would say are things to look for in a pattern that would make it a, a good scrap quilt? Anything really with like a, a nine patches, any, any variation of nine patch, anything like... Um, I don't know. I, it's, it's really hard to say because once you start thinking about plugging in different colors, I mean, if you're looking at a, at a quilt and there's a lot of pieces in it, I mean, you can plug in different colors. Mm -hmm. and, and, and another thing I think is if you look at the individual block, if you can isolate each block and maybe have one block be all shades of red or shades of blue, whatever mm -hmm. and that way you can really and and then put the whole thing all together then you can really start to isolate and look at you know where you're gonna uh, um like irish chain i mean something mm -hmm. like that is perfect jewel box there's so many different ones that, that have a pattern that are right in the blocks right um looking for lights and darks too that's yeah. what i was going to say is yeah. a lot of the success of scrap quilts right. then lies in value right Right. So you're also looking for something with kind of right. potentially strong contrast right. there. Mm -hmm. um, so that being said, then for many years I didn't. When I first started quilting, I didn't like scrap quilts because they were too busy. And mm -hmm. what I realized then after joining Guild and seeing your quilts, frankly, <laughs> was okay. I wasn't seeing good scrap quilts before, you know, because when you see one that really works, then they're a really beautiful thing. So, what would you say makes a scrap quilt actually work? Are there tricks to doing a scrap quilt to keep it from being too busy? Well, I think it, as long as you put a, a, a sashing in between, a lot of times that'll... It depends on your block, obviously. Mm -hmm. It depends on your block and how much contrast is in it. And I think that's probably a good thing to think of right there because if you've got good contrast in it, then it's gonna, you're going to see the pattern. Whereas if you don't, it's going to look like a whole mishmash. Just a mishmash. And a lot depends on the size of the block, too. Because if you're working on two-inch squares or something like that, um, if your pattern isn't really um, denounced, and if you don't have contrast in your pattern, it's going to look busy, too. Mm -hmm. It's going to look like a watercolor right. picture or something. And not a good one. <laughs> well, not necessarily. I mean, there's that's another kind of quilt. Right. You know? It but even those, so there's a trick to getting right. a watercolor to actually work right. well. Um, so some of it is then also kind of giving your eye a place to rest because you right. do use a yes. lot of, even though yes. your neutral backgrounds are scrappy, they're still right. neutral right. <laughs> and restful. Mm -hmm. All right, and you don't use special rulers or, or anything like that. You no, just I use a square. <laughs> yeah. That's about it. Do you use different types of fabrics, or do you pretty much just stick to, I mean, especially because you get a lot of donated scraps, mm -hmm. do you find that there's people that don't use all 100%, you know, quilters-grade cotton kind of thing? Usually I use everything that's in there. It's not usually that bad. I mean, some of it, once in a while I'll find something that's really chintzy, and mm -hmm. I won't use that. Okay. But for the most part, I use it all. Okay. I don't really care if, it's, if, there's some, if there's a little polyester in it. I mean, that's fine. 
you know, I don't, I'm not that picky about it. Again, because if it's only two and a half right. <laughs> inches big, it's, yeah, yeah, it's pretty small. Right. You don't even really notice it. Okay. Especially if it's quilted, you're not going to notice it at all. So if a, a lot of my listeners are pretty brand new quilters, mm-hmm. you know, maybe have only been doing it six months or a year, if they think they really want to get started on doing, a, you know, real scrap quilts and not just a jelly roll or, you know, a charm pack, but something that's a true scrap quilt, what would you suggest they go ahead and start doing now to prepare themselves for that? Well, find a pattern that you like, one that you can work on one square at a time. And, I mean, not, if you're, if you're going to do scrap quilts, it's not something you can normally do in a weekend. It's a non-growing project. Mm-hmm. And um, pick a... Choose a smaller project, maybe like a baby quilt or a table topper or a lap quilt. Mm-hmm. Don't start out with a king-size bed. <laughs> it's a lot of two-and-a-half-inch squares. Right. <laughs> That's crazy-making right there. That's why I have 22 of them going, because it takes a long time to get all those. <laughs> but then put your colors together for each square. and Start with a quarter of a yard or an eighth of a yard of the fabrics that seem to go together. But and you know and just build your stash and just don't throw anything away, <laughs> <laughs> or give it to you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Find somebody you like scrapping. I was uh, thinking last night as you were showing us some of the blocks you made, and I have uh, one of my listeners, Jay, who I talk about with some regularity, has um, what she calls her fabric of the year quilt, and every year she'll choose a shape. And excuse me, Jay, if I'm not explaining this well, but she'll choose a shape kind of at the beginning of the year and cut that shape from every fabric from the scraps left from every Mm -hmm. project. And then she turns them into one big quilt at the end. And it's a neat kind of retrospective for her. And I was thinking that last night as you were showing these blocks, I recognized a lot of the fabric I knew I had given you. And I thought, you know, this really, your quilts have become sort of a retrospective of our entire guilt's years worth of. It is neat in that respect. And so, you know, are you able to now look back at some of your quilts and, and pick out particular fabrics that you've used? Oh, yeah. I think, you know, I'll, I still have some of the fabric, <clears throat> excuse me, from the first quilt that I made. I'm, I'm sure that there's still some squares laying around from, from that, from mm-hmm. 10 years ago. You know, and if I look in, a lot of them have the same squares mm-hmm. or the same fabric. So, I mean, some of the, depending on how much I bought to begin with or how much I was given to begin with, I might have a, a lot of squares left over, which may be in a multitude of quilts. <laughs> <laughs> you can get a lot of two-and-a-half-inch squares out of a yeah. three-yard fabric piece. Well, I don't start with a two-and-a-half-inch squares. <laughs> but then again, you know, we were talking last night, too. I have a whiteboard in my quilt room. Mm-hmm. And so on the whiteboard, I have listed the quilts that I'm working on. I have a little box that I made a picture of that square and what I need to make that square. Now, um, I do a lot of square and a square, which is one five-inch square and two four-inch squares cut on the diagonal, and that's up there. That's square and a square, and Mm -hmm. a lot of times how many squares I need to make the quilt. There's one quilt that I'm making that I need eight three-inch squares. So as I'm cutting, and if I find that I have eight squares that are all the same fabric, then I put them in that plastic bag. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that way I can keep track, and then when I have time, then I, or I have built up enough in there to make a couple of squares, then I drag that all out and, you know, make the squares, iron them up, put them in the plastic bag, mark off the hash marks of how many I did, and so I keep current with everything that way. Hmm. So, 
it really is a, a very useful system that you've designed. I think so. it works it really well for yeah. me. And I also like the fact, I mean, as I mentioned last night, I had this thought last year that I would start doing this and cutting scraps, and the pattern I chose I now no longer like. And so now I'm kind of stuck with these shapes that I cut for a particular project that I don't want to use now, and I'm trying to decide do I want to go back and recut them all for more useful sizes, whereas you kind of stick to more traditional sizes to begin with so that they're much more flexible Mm -hmm. in how they're used, I think. Um, yeah, everything that I save is a square. I don't save rectangles other than strips for, like, strip mm-hmm. quilts. And the strips I sew together, and I probably four inches is the, the longest of those. And I have long strips of four-inch squares that are all sewed together. And I'm thinking that, you know, eventually if I have enough, that will make a really neat border. Mm-hmm. So, but I also have some that are wider because they're 12-inch squares are 12 inches wide. So, I mean, I can cut them out and make squares out of them. There's a couple of patterns of, like, pinwheels mm-hmm. that have used strip. So, I mean, you know, and I save all that stuff up. And someday when I'm in the mood or have enough, you know, then I'll start play with bag. that. Yeah, start another <laughs> bag, exactly. But I have made strip quilts, mm-hmm. um, and they've really turned out really neat. You know, I've made the, 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 strip, the strips and then cut them in 8-inch squares and sashed them in between and quilted a heart in the middle and <laughs> my son saw it and said awesome I like that <laughs> so I gave that to him for their their house housewarming present it is it's <clears throat> I think sometimes we make it more complicated in our heads than it really needs to be you know yeah. and that's but even as far as coordinating the colors I mean as if I'm putting a block together and basically I just pile up the blocks and I take the first one off. I try try not to have any duplicates in the block. So if there's four of them in the, in the pile, then I take the top one off, put the other three on the bottom of the pile so that each, you know, I have a rotation mm-hmm. going. Okay. And if it, if it really annoys me to see that the two together, then I won't put them together. But for the most part, I just take the block off the top, you know, mm-hmm. So it's it's ninety percent random, <laughs> with a little bit of ten percent right. of fixing right. things. That, but yeah. you have to make sure that you you keep your color definition. I mean your, your lights and darks mm-hmm. separate, so that you have your your pattern. Right. And I noticed when you print off your EQ design, you actually print it in black and white, which is partly to save ink, but that also helps you focus more on value placement right. than getting caught up in color. Right. Right. And that's useful. Right. Okay. Um, any other tips or tricks you want to make sure people know about scrap quilting? Because you are basically the queen of scrap quilting. <laughs> we have dubbed you well, that. In, so. this, in this group, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't think so, except, you know, there's no quilt police. So, I mean, you could put anything together. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't like one square, if I have a square that sticks out like a sore thumb, I put it in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the corner. Yeah. <laughs> Stay There's there in your time I out. I really don't like, and I think, man, that is really ugly. I stick it in the corner somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and, and you were mentioning, like, one of the blocks you're working on, Loose Change mm-hmm. was the name of the block, and you were saying, well, really, the only important thing in here is making sure that the four corner blocks are right. dark, and so each right. block, as long as there's certain sort of anchor pieces, right. then anything else. Make sure else that can... you have your pattern. Right. Right. So that's... 
when you're choosing a pattern to make sure, when you're choosing a block design to make sure you know what the key elements are that right. need to be in there and then right. you can move to on. To make sure you keep your pattern going. Yeah. Okay. Because I'll put like lighter ones in the center of that block. Mm -hmm. But, or yellow or pink or whatever, which, right. but I want darker around as the edges. As long as that outside edge mm -hmm. is still dark. Okay. All right, um, and I will post a link to the loose change block so people know what I'm talking about. It's, it's a block I'm dying to do someday. I love doing it. Um, all right, well, thank you very much for talking to me, and if anybody asks any follow-up questions that I can't answer, I will come back to you okay. with the questions. That's fine. So Fair thank enough. you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks again so much, Charlotte, for talking to me. I actually don't even know if Charlotte listens to this podcast, but I know a few other women from our guild do, so um, she has her fans, and hopefully she will listen to this episode since she knows she's in it. Uh, but in any case, I really enjoyed talking with her, and I always, you know, I can't say enough how gorgeous Charlotte's quilts are. I'm hoping if I can, um, when I post this episode or near enough, you know, maybe within the next couple days, I will see if I can dig out a couple of photos of Charlotte's quilts from our guild photo album and see if I can post them in the show notes. Um, but if I don't, <laughs> I apologize. I will, I'll work on that. Uh, but she does do gorgeous work. So on to um, a little bit of uh, Sandy update. Like I said, I was at a conference this past week and I normally really, I'm a fairly um, categorical thinker, categorical liver. I tend to keep my work life pretty separate from my uh, my life, life, <laughs> you know, what I do for business and what I do for pleasure, um, just for my own sense of, you know, sake that I have these sort of separate lives going on. Um, but in this case, I really do want to share a little bit with you. In my professional life, I've mentioned before that I am on national staff with my denomination for church in women's and girls ministries. And one of the things we have had a focus on um, a national mission project for the last several years on human trafficking and particularly focused on sex trafficking. Um, and sex trafficking is now in, I believe, second place. When we first started the project, it was in third place and growing. It's now in second place in terms of criminal dollars earned globally. It falls just behind drugs and just in front of guns. Um, so this is a, a serious issue around the world and including the United States. The conference that I was at was the International Christian Alliance on Prostitution, which involved um, people from all over the world who are engaged in outreach ministries from a variety of Christian denominations, and they're engaged in prevention and advocacy, victim care and services, and again, worldwide. And um, one of the things I did while I was there, and this is one of the places, probably the only time I'll ever mention this, I also do a podcast for work. I've done one for several years. Uh, recently, this fall, we changed the focus of the podcast and retitled it, and it's now entitled In Their Shoes, Women Walking with Women Worldwide, and it's about issues of um, oppression and exploitation of women and girls around the world and people who are engaged in um, eradicating those issues and improving the lot of women and girls. So if you're interested in those kind of issues, you may want to check out In Their Shoes, Women Walking with Women Worldwide. It's available on iTunes, and the website is intheirshoespodcast.org. Um, this week, when I was at this conference, because again, there were people from all over the world there, I got several interviews. I think I counted, I have like seven or eight episodes worth, and that podcast is every two weeks. Um, I'll be posting a new one next week. And I have interviews with women who are at work in Ethiopia, Sierra Leone, a missionary from Italy, uh, people working in the U.S., an author of a book that's out, um, just a bunch of interviews that 
I could have kept talking to every one of them longer than what I allowed for the uh, podcast, not only to keep the podcast episodes reasonable length, but also because, you know, we were all pretty busy that week and I didn't want to tie up any more of their time than I absolutely had to. Um, it, it was really very inspiring, very moving. You know, you hear a lot of just horrific information and personal stories, uh, people there who have come out of those issues and are now at work on behalf of other women and girls. Um, you know, you hear a lot of that, but there's also a lot of hope and um, people who are engaged in really, in some cases, very creative um, issue ministries addressing what I refer to as the push factors. Uh, one of the major push factors for trafficking and prostitution is poverty. Um, women who are living in poverty, which is, you know, a significant portion of our world, are incredibly vulnerable to traffickers. And um, a lot of these outreach ministries, this is one of the other things I did want to share with you, not only about the podcast I do, but many outreach ministries do also practice social entrepreneurship. And you've heard me talk about that in this podcast before, too. Another big thing of mine that I um, like to find out about and try to support with my own shopping dollars when I can. Uh, these are folks who are creating small businesses that also, that give job skills training while also providing alternative alternative forms of income in order for women to put food on their family's table without having to sell themselves. And so while I was at the conference, several um, practitioners there did have their um, vending booths set up with some of their um, materials for sale. And so I did buy some jewelry, and I bought a handmade greeting card. I bought an African dress, which I said, you know, there's there's very few places where a white woman from Western New York can wear an African dress and get away with it. So, I, you know, I have a couple of events coming up that I might be able to wear it at church, and then I'll probably turn it into a quilt. Um, but I just, I loved uh, having that for the evening that I wore it at the conference. And I bought it from the woman from Sierra Leone that I later interviewed. And she and I ended up sitting next to each other throughout almost the entire conference. And I got to know her better um, and really enjoyed her as well. I'd, I'd love to go to Sierra Leone and visit her. I'm just not sure that's um, in the f in immediate future since I do have college tuitions I'm paying. Um, in any case, I also bought pajama bottoms uh, from the International Princess Project, and they're called Punjamis, P-U-N-J-A-M-M-I-E-S, cutest things and very reasonable prices, and I would suggest you all find them. Um, don't remember exactly their website, but again, if you look up International Princess Project, um, if you just Google that, you'll find them. Um, they also have a Facebook page, which I believe I posted to my own status at one point. Um, but then from a quilter's perspective, the thing I bought that I will put pictures of at some point on my blog, and I have to double check which country this was actually from, but I bought um, one of the projects uh, from one of the countries was quilted items. They had a variety of um, kind of quilted pieces. They had felted wool shoes, uh, like clogs that had been embroidered, a lot of felted wool things, felted wool beads. Um, the piece I bought was a table runner that had a center block that was actually antique um, embroidered block that was representative of traditional embroidery from the country. And then it had been bordered on either side with quilt blocks, like log cabin blocks and everything. And it's not done in cotton. It's some sort of other material that's got a sheen to it. I'm not entirely sure what. And I didn't read 
um, the card to see whether it actually mentioned the material. I don't think it did because the card really had more to do with the country and the ministry itself. Um, if memory serves, it was Kazakhstan, but I have to double check that. So I will do that before I post the picture from the blog. But it was really a gorgeous piece. And they had actually, it, it's a table runner. It's It looks like a table runner, but they had attached a hanging sleeve to one end of it. And when I looked at it, you know, kind of in that, having it hang vertically on my wall, I think it would be even more attractive. So I'm, I'm going to be doing that um, as soon as I find an appropriate wall for it. But that was, I had been eyeing that all week long and kept thinking, oh, I'm not sure. You know, it was a um, it was a little bit more. I think it was like a $50 piece, which wasn't extravagant, but considering that I'd already bought some other things, kind of kept an eye on it. And finally, the last day we were there, I went over and nobody had bought it. And I'd said, okay, it's mine. <laughs> I have to take this thing home. And I'm really pleased. I, that's my favorite um, purchase of the week. And it's even more so because I know what it symbolizes. So that was a really wonderful experience. Um, so that was kind of where I was last week. I had thought it was going to be an easier not an easier conference. I knew it was going to be an intense conference, but um, I thought my own role was going to be a little more low key. I th really, I knew that I was sort of second string on running projection for the worship services because I do, um, I run PowerPoint and now I use a program that's specific for um, running projection and worship called Easy Worship. And um, I had let them know, you know, if you really need it, I am available. When I got there, uh, they did have a staff person from the conference center who was going to run it, but then as soon as he found out that I ran it and knew how to run his soundboard as well, he pretty much turned everything over to me. So I ran projection the whole time I was there, which I don't mind doing, um, but it just meant I was a little less free than I wanted to be because in between times people give you things that you need to prep for worship that night and everything. So I was a little busier than I thought I'd be. Um, but I still had a wonderful experience. And like I said, the interviews, the opportunities I had to sit down with people one-on-one -on -one, and talk with them about what they're doing around the world was really, to me, the most meaningful time. Um, it really was incredible, and I'm so glad I've got those interviews now to share uh, through my work podcast. So if you're interested in those issues, again, it's In Their Shoes, Women Walking with Women Worldwide. You'll find it on iTunes or in their shoes org. Now back to my uh, quilting life. In terms of my usual Sandy update, um, probably the thing I'm most excited about just happened this afternoon. I ran my daughter. She asked me if I could take her to Joanne's because she needed to buy some picture frames for her photography class. She has to put on a, what is it, a show in an alternative location. So she has made arrangements with our pastors to be able to do it at church um, in an upcoming some, Sunday in the next couple of weeks. But she had to buy frames. So um, I had said, oh, sure, you know, I'll, I'll go up to Joanne's. There was one thing I wanted to look for, which of course they did not have, <laughs> the particular thing I was looking for was a particular brand of stabilizer um, that I want to try, so I'm going to have to order it online. But in any case, while I was there uh, looking for the stabilizer, they had all of their OT lights on huge sale. Huge. Let me say that again. Huge sale. And I don't know if this was just a Memorial Day weekend thing. Um, so, you know, maybe by the time you hear this, the sale will be over, but it might be worth checking out. I bought three Otlite floor lamps. Two of them are typically a little over $200, I think, and I got them for $30 each. And the other one is a little over $100, and that one was $20. And I was like, as soon as I saw the price, and I'm like double-checking the SKU numbers and everything to make sure I was really looking at the right lamps, and sure enough, they were on sale. And even the woman, when I took him up to the counter 
looked at him and I said, you know, she goes, oh, you've got some lighting issues, huh? And I said, well, I do when it's on this big a sale. And she brung it up. She's like, oh, my word. <laughs> she didn't even know they were that good a price. Um, so I took two of them. I put two of them up in my family room. They're now on either side of my couch, which is more going to be for reading. Um, but it will be helpful when I do hand work. My The lighting in our family room has always been really bad because you have to... Um, you know, kind of balance the needs of me if I'm actually sitting there doing any quilting versus the rest of the family watching TV. You know, you don't want to cause glares on the TV or we have lamps that are angled wrong. So if I can see right, they're shining in somebody else's eyes. I mean, it's just been this ongoing issue. Well, now I've got high hopes. I've got the lamps set up. I love them. We'll see if everybody else gets along with them tonight when we try to watch TV with them. Uh, The other one I set up right next to my cutting table because I had sort of this uh, jerry-rigged thing with, I have one table lamp with an Otlight bulb in it, and then I had a clamp lamp on the shelf next to it, which was never at the right angle. I was always having to reach over and readjust it while I was in the middle of cutting, and I'd keep getting in my own light, etc., and it just never really worked well. So I've replaced that lamp now with the floor lamp, um, and I think that's going to work very well for me. And the clamp lamp has now been assigned another corner of my room where it still doesn't really work, but it's <laughs> that's another corner where I desperately need light, so it's better than anything or nothing. So that was kind of my excitement and unexpected excitement for the day, uh, sewing related. Um, I did spend an hour cleaning up my sewing room today. I really, you know, here I had this whole weekend free, but I got home from the conference Friday night and I was completely wiped, just completely wiped. And some of that is I always have a Dramamine hangover the next day because I always have to take Dramamine to fly. And so Saturday, I just granted myself a pajama day and I did nothing but kind of doze on and off. And (laughs) I read fiction, um, which I rarely, I mean, I always read. I'm always reading at night and, you know, if I've got a, a minute or two during the day, but I never just have a whole day like that. And... Actually, in the last 10 days, I've now finished three novels, which is pretty unheard of for me. But that was between, you know, being in airports to and from um, this conference and then spending all day Saturday and a significant portion of Sunday just sitting and reading. And it was wonderful. Um, By Sunday afternoon, I was starting to feel more myself. So Sunday afternoon, I spent a little time cleaning up my sewing room. Uh, you know, I, it looked fine. I didn't really think I needed that much cleaning, but when I got into it, there was one drawer that, yeah, I really needed to kind of fix. And there was one basket of stuff. Yeah, I really needed to kind of sort through that. So I got a lot of the corners kind of dealt with. So things are much more clean and ready to go. Um, a couple things I picked up. I had mentioned um, in the episode about debriefing from my quilt retreat recently that I had found out about this other applique pressing sheet, and I did order it. Um, I bought one by June Taylor. It's much thinner, much easier to see through. So it really is more what I could have used when I was on retreat. It doesn't feel quite as sturdy as my other one, so I'm not sure I would use it for everything. I think probably still with Angelina fibers and that kind of thing, I'd still want my heavier pressing sheet. Um, the My only quibble with it is that they sell it folded in an envelope. So it's got these really heavy creases in it, which kind of means it doesn't really lay flat. Um which was kind of bugging me. I don't know if eventually that'll kind of come out, except it just naturally folds back into place again when I put it in my drawer. Um, I'm actually kind of thinking about getting myself one of those wine racks to hang on the wall that, you know, you can roll things up in a tube and stick it in there, and maybe I can stick my pressing sheet in there along with some some of my fusibles and stuff. So I haven't done that yet. That's a good idea. may never happen. Um, 
I also bought Jennifer a long time ago. I think I looked it up. It was on episode 39 in which we go to the movies. Jennifer had left a comment recommending something. I don't think she owns it. Her mother owns it called Clearly Perfect Angles. It's what I had mentioned. I have the Angler, which is um, actually, I think I've got the Angler 2, or maybe I've got the Angler, and now there's the Angler 2. I, I got this from my mother. I inherited it from mom, and it's a piece of plastic marked on with diagonals that you tape down onto your sewing machine so you don't have to mark uh, squares that you're making into half square triangles. You don't have to mark things that you're sewing on the diagonal. You just use the guidelines. And I love the um, the angler that I've used except for the fact that it's kind of a thick plastic and I have to tape it down onto my machine. Um, and it's got edges that kind of stick up, so you got to tape it really well. And then if you have to change your bobbin, you got to untape everything and stick it back down. It's kind of a pain. Um, but I love using it because it does make that whole sewing of diagonals a lot easier. So Jennifer had recommended this Clearly Perfect Angles, which is acrylic cling. So you don't actually have to tape it down. You just kind of slap it onto your thing. You line it up. Obviously, you don't just slap it down. <laughs> you line it up very carefully and slap it down carefully. Uh, but you don't have to tape it down. It just clings. And so I do, I now, I did buy it. Thank you, Jennifer, for the tip. I haven't had an opportunity to use it yet, but I'm really looking forward to being able to do that. Um, because just kind of messing around with it a little bit, I think it's going to be so much easier to use. So I will keep you posted on that one. And again, thank you, Jennifer. I appreciate the tip. And um, as I always say, thank you for spending my money for me. Uh, I've also recently bought three books with quilting designs in them. Um, I bought another volume. I've already got one volume, but I bought a second volume of the Follow the Line quilting designs. And those are a collection. It kind of comes in a box and you pull out the pieces of paper and they're just designs that then you can trace and use on your own quilts. Um, I also got a book entitled 501 Quilting Motifs, Designs for Hand or Machine Quilting, and that one's from editors of Quilt Magazine, I'm sorry, Quilt Maker Magazine. And I've got a CD that I got for free with one of their magazines, or maybe I inherited it from mom. I don't remember where I ended up with the CD of quilt designs, but they're nice, and so I thought the book would be worth getting. And the thing I like about the book, I haven't used any of these designs yet, um, but the book is spiral bound inside of a sort of a binder cover. So it'll sit nicely on my um, bookshelf. You know how spiral bound books can tend to get caught up with each other? They're a lot easier to use when you're actually using them, but they're a pain in the butt when you're pulling them on and off your shelf. Well, this one has the best of both worlds, which is very nice, and I like that. Um, the other book I got was Harry, Hari, H-A-R-I, Walner's Continuous Line Quilting Designs. These are not quilting designs... Um, for the timid. <laughs> they're, they're pretty complex, but they're very pretty. And I think, you know, they, you trace them out and you just do them, you'd be able to do them fine. They're just much more complex than the, what they have been. I did notice in that one, though, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it now, but it, it did just make me think you need to check because she does have in the copyright information in the very front um, of the book, information about how you can and can't use those designs without copyright infringement. Basically, in a nutshell, if I recall, you can use them in your own quilts, you know, if you're just keeping them yourself um, for personal use. You cannot put them, use them in a quilt to sell unless you get her permission to do that, uh, which I get because essentially then you are selling her work without giving her credit. Uh, so you need to just read carefully whenever you use a quilting design from another source. Just double check 
the um, fair use requirements on them. I know, you know, copyright issues periodically kind of raise people's hackles, but I get it. If if this is your business and you're trying to earn a living off of your business, you do need to put stuff like that in. You know, I produce resources for my job. We have to put something in there that says, you know, here's what you can photocopy, here's what you can't. You know, we appreciate it, but we need to make money off of these books because they support the rest of our ministry. It's the same thing. You know, if this is somebody's original work, then they deserve the credit for it. Um, so just double check uh, copyright information when you use books like that. I have finally finished posting book reviews on all of my Alice Anderx- Alex Anderson books. Um, I've been posting those reviews to my, uh, they're in Goodreads, but then you can shoot them straight over to your blog too. Um, I'm not going to be doing that many, uh, that consistently from now on. I was just trying to get those done um, because I'm sending them to a friend on somebody permanent loan and I kind of wanted to get them off my shelf. So I was trying to blast through those as much as I could. I will keep, periodically keep posting book reviews, mostly because I so appreciate reading other people's book reviews. I find them very helpful. So I'm kind of, you know, paying it forward. I hope you find my book reviews helpful as well. Um, but, you know, from here on in, I'm probably only going to post book reviews. You know, if I use a book and it's one I haven't reviewed yet, then I'll probably take that as an opportunity to review it. Or if I buy a new one, um, although it's always hard, you know, I'm always a little trepidatious about posting a review on a book that I've just bought, because if you haven't actually lived with it for a while, you might miss things. That being said, I mean, all of the reviews of my Alex Anderson books, I've probably only really used one of them. Um, but I've certainly read them frequently, and I know enough about the kinds of stuff that she's trying to teach in those that I thought I could probably give a fair review of them. Other books, it might be a little trickier if I haven't actually made something out of the book or whatever. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to take that a little bit as I come across them. Um, but I would encourage you, again, I have absolutely loved Goodreads, and most of the books I'm reading now are because other people have re- recommended them either to Nisha on the Crafty Garden Mom podcast or through Goodreads. Um, I've been finding some great authors that way, so I really appreciate that. And uh, those of you who are quilt makers, if you post reviews of your quilting books too, that's extremely helpful. There are other quilt makers on Goodreads. I'm actually part of a Goodreads group for quilters. Uh, so there's another great way for you to meet some other quilters. Let's see. Um, Oh, and I was going to also say, I do own a lot of books. So if there's one you're considering buying that you um, ha- that I haven't reviewed yet or you're not sure um, that you want to get, go ahead and shoot me an email. I'll let you know if it's one I've got. Or better yet, post that question in the uh, Big Tent uh, Quilting for the Rest of Us group, which is the subgroup of the Quiltcast Supergroup. And if I don't own the book, somebody else probably does. So that's another good way to um, find out if there's a book that you're looking at, whether that's something you really want to own. Um, let's see, from a quilt making perspective, I did finally get the borders mostly done for my pinwheel quilt. I have to actually sew parts of them together, which sounds more than it really is. Uh, it's, they're pretty close to done. I do not have attached, have them attached to the quilt yet. Um, that will happen as soon as I get the parts of them sewn together. Um, and the only clue I'm going to give you is I've used a, uh, technique, I guess I'll call it, that I've talked about on a previous episode, and I really love the way it's turned out so far. Uh, Like I said, I just need to get them, you know, finally attached to the quilt, but I have no reason to believe that that's not going to work well. So um, they're not done yet, but they're a lot closer than they were. I'm not sure I'm going to get a whole lot of uh, sewing time in this week 
or this coming weekend. There's a lot going on, um, but I hope to at least get those borders on before my next guild meeting. I hope. Um, but the other project I really have to get done before my next guild meeting is my Stash Mystery Challenge based on um, children's artwork. You know, it's always, since I am the facilitator of the challenge, I always kind of feel like, yeah, I got to have mine done <laughs> if I can. And um, for my guild, the deadline is the guild meeting. For our podcast listeners, the deadline is the following week, I believe. Double check the um, the quilting for the rest of us.com page on the tab called Stash Mystery Challenge. It'll give you the actual specifications. So um, today I started the process. What I'm going to have to do for mine is create an applique pattern off of the child's artwork that I'm using as inspiration. And then I've got to fuse that pattern to something with stabilizer, and I'm going to be doing some thread painting on it. So I've gotten so far as to begin the process of creating the applique pattern. Um, I'll I'm hoping to get a little more done on that tonight, but my feet were starting to bother me from being on my feet all day for the last couple days. Um, well, I haven't been on my feet all day yesterday. I've been on my feet a lot more today, but mostly I'm wearing a lot of flip-flops, and my feet don't always like spending a lot of time in flip-flops. So I decided I had to just sit down for a little bit and record a podcast, give my feet a break, and then I'll go back to it. Okay, we're going to do a few um, listener, I mean, I'm going to do the listener comments. I'm only going to be able to respond to a couple of them because I'm noticing that this episode's getting a little long, and that's because I feel like it's been a while. Uh, first of all, Vivian sent me a couple more ways you can annoy a quilter. She said, if you want to annoy a quilter, tell them that you don't understand why they are making small, in other words, miniature or wall hanging size quilts. Why do all that work if you're not going to have something big enough to put on your bed? And she says that was actually said to her a few years ago before she had made her first bed size quilt. Um, and the person that said it has since taken up the quilting, finished only one of the two bed size projects they attempted, and now is an affirmed dedicated baby quilt maker. And she goes on to say the other way to annoy a quilter is to look totally perplexed when they mention they hang quilts on walls. And she said um, this happened recently in a store actually container store, which is dedicated to storage and therefore decorating solutions. The clerk did not get the concept of hanging a quilt at all, but I chalked that up to not having seen a quilt hung before. If she had, she'd get it. Or better yet, if she went to the recent red and white quilt exhibit, she'd really get it. And I agree with that, Vivian. I've seen photos of that um, that exhibit. And there's some mixed reviews about, you know, when you hang quilts up so high that you can't see them. But I agree, it would have been just an amazing experience to walk into that room and see them all over the place. Um, I got a lot of comments on the blog entries I've posted about the fact that Jay has successfully talked me into starting a hexagon quilt, um, or as I refer to them, hexes, and I have, I'm going to be cutting them the K wood way, which is a non-template way, and you basically do it in strips, which is going to be really interesting. And Jay swears to me she has an easy way to do Y seams, although she has yet to reveal that, but that's okay. I haven't gotten any hexagons cut yet, so I've got a little ways away. Uh, Sherry, however, sent me a photo of a hexagon quilt she made in a grandmother's flower garden setting, but it's done on a black background. It is just astounding, and I think she said it's a king-size quilt, and she said, by the way, the first time you do hexes, don't do a king-size quilt. (laughs) Apparently it took her a little while, but this is a gorgeous quilt, Sherry. Really appreciate it, and I would encourage you to um, post it in the Flickr group if you haven't done that already. I think I'm keeping up with the Flickr group, but since I've been traveling a little bit, I think I'm a little behind. 
Um, I also have an email from uh, Steffi in Germany that I'm going to get to next week. I just wanted to let you know, Steffi, I did get it. Um, and the reason I haven't gotten to it yet is because I, I want to um, really be able to respond to it in the podcast. It was a great comment. So thank you for that. Um, and Leslie also uh, left a comment to episode 49 in which we went on retreat and she did give a little more information about the quilter's daughter if you remember that's the new quilt shop down in perry center that i mentioned having visited for the first time and just fell in love with and she said i had said i thought the church kind of looked like or the building kind of looked like an old church and she says uh, leslie left in her comment that the quilter's daughter building was actually a grange and owner claudia van kramer can tell you lots of fascinating history about the building and what she and her husband have done to renovate Uh, She is indeed the daughter of a talented lifelong quilter and crafter, and I, as in Leslie, received one of her mother's spectacular wedding ring quilts as a wedding gift 25 years ago. I'm aching to go back to the shop and see what's new. Leslie, get your butt over there. (laughs) It's it's just wonderful. I loved, loved, loved that shop. So, uh, Leslie, if you go, let her know that you did hear me talking about it on my podcast and um, that I really hope I get down there again sometime soon. It was a beautiful, beautiful shop. She's done a very nice job with it. I also want to say I need to send a shout out to new listener Ethel. Woohoo for new listeners. We like new listeners. Thank you for listening, Ethel. I'm glad you could join us. And thanks to um, those who left comments, including Noni and Jackie, Vivian, Jennifer, Christy, Daisy, Jay, and Katie of Katie's Quilting Corner. Um, Did I mention Jennifer? I'm sorry. I've got my names kind of written down in in odd places here. I'm sorry if I mentioned you twice. Uh, Also, Quilter in the Gap, Jane, um, Sherry, again, I mentioned she sent me the picture, Catherine, Kate, Anne-Marie, Denise in Pennsylvania, and Jetters, um, who all sent uh, comments about the hexes. Some of you acting like you are in great anticipation. Others of you sounding a little bit like you're skeptical. I'll actually get this done. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe I'm just reading between the lines because that's my own concern. I also want to give a shout out to Holly who sent in her entry for the Stash Mystery Challenge. Congratulations, Holly. Um, I'm going to start definitely keeping track of those. Remember, the deadline is coming up. I think it's June 20th, if I recall. So send me pictures. And if you can, send me a picture of the artwork that generated the Stash Challenge as well. If you post your Stash Challenge entry to your blog, just send me the link to the blog. That's the best way for me to keep track of it. If you post it to the Flickr group, it's also helpful if you send me an email to let me know that you've posted it to the Flickr group. Um, Because, again, sometimes I don't always keep track of that very well. If I have an email with it, I can keep the email in my email file. So that just makes things a little easier for me. I did get a couple of other comments that I want to respond to in future episodes because, again, this one has gotten long. We're at 59 minutes. So um, I just want to say thank you again to everybody for listening. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. And you can find all the very many ways to be in touch with me and to follow me and to comment with one another at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. So until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom.